Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Donald Mazzella, and I am Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Each hour here at Small Business, Di- Business Digest Radio, we hope to bring you information, strategies, and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. We have an unusual lineup today. It includes uh, Mike Levecki, who has a unique approach to sales uh, that we should all hear about. Michael Mahoney is here to tell us about how to best use health savings accounts. Mark Gilbreth put his money where his ideas were in creating liquid space, a unique virtual office approach. And finally, Jack Bronstein is is a founder of Flint and Timber. And don't you just love that name? A domestic apparel manufacturer with a unique product and a clever way of financing its introductions. We will tell you more later. But first, Mike Levecki stopped by the studio today, and I couldn't. Thomas Levecki, uh, I, I always do that. Sorry, Tom. Okay, Tom. Uh, but anyway, uh, we just heard him on another program, and I couldn't resist having him on this program. Mike, tell us about uh, the X Factor selling system. Absolutely, Don. The X-Factor selling system is perfect for uh, small business owners for the simple fact that uh, we're in hard times right now. And uh, right now, people have had a chance to cut costs, which they probably have done over the years. But now the new or next challenge is to increase sales. And that's what the X-Factor does, show you how to increase sales by better understanding your customers. Well, yes, but uh, I'll go into a little bit more detail. What are the, You said earlier about the four Ps. And the four P's are what motivates uh, all of us, and they're identified as people, which are people that are people-centric. They are into relationships, recognition, and they can really connect one-on-one with people. Um, Then there's process. Some people like things easier or done a certain way, and that's what motivates them. Another one is product, which is simply uh, brand loyalty for a certain product or brand, very simple. And the last is price. Those are people that tend to be more financially motivated. And people think in small business, if price was the leader, then if you had the lowest price, you would have 100% market share. But that's never the case. So it's not always about price. So you identify whatever the four Ps are, um, identify the X factor by utilizing those four Ps, and then close for the business. Well, a small a small business, by by definition, is closer to the customer than uh, a large corporation, despite many millions of dollars of efforts. How does your, your system uh, help a small business uh, leader. It's even more critical for, for small businesses to adapt the X-Factor selling system for the simple fact that they are working directly one-on-one with the customer or they're employing family members, friends, and so forth. So it's not just critical for them, but critical for the people that they support. So the fact that they deal directly with the client, they need to identify what's motivated for that client and then close for the business. Because if clients are looking for elsewhere where you can't compete on price, because you're a small business, you need to find out what their X factor is to motivate them to not only secure that business, but to grow their business with that particular particular client. 
Well, for instance, uh, I much prefer my local druggist to the to CVS, and it's solely based on the on customer service. But um, how do you instill it into uh, your uh, a small business leader instilling it into uh, their um, uh, employees? So first, you need to have again. I wish everybody took the X-Factor selling system or at the very least read the book for the simple fact that whether it's a frontline person answering the phones all the way up to the CEO, there needs to be a culture that wins and a culture that is customer-centric. Uh, the second part of the equation is um, they need to be able to execute on that plan. It's great to have a plan in place, but you need to execute on that plan. So once you identify what the culture of your team is and your mission, execute on that plan and you'll win nine out of ten times. Well, um, when you say uh, the culture of your team, what do you mean by that? Well, for example, the mission at the X Factor Selling System is to inspire greatness. So we have that bucket. Does this inspire greatness? Yes. If it doesn't, it's just not addressed and it's not involved with our team. So if we're working closely to our mission at, at, in, every, in every turn, um, we will be more, not just more profitable but more sustainable to our customers and provide a better service. So I would first identify the mission and vision of your organization, whatever that may be, and then make sure that everyone knows that mission and make sure they're living it each and every day, not just them, but also their people that work for them. Well, tell people about your book. Okay. Where they can get it, how much it costs, etc. The, the, the X-Factor Selling System can be found on Amazon.com. BarnesandNoble.com, iBooks, as well as Google Play. So the uh, costs range from three three dollars and fifty cents for the ebook, and the uh, paperback is about eleven dollars. But you also have seminars, right? We do. We're hosting a seminar um, in New Jersey at the Crystal Springs Resort on April twenty uh, fifth and twenty sixth, and they can find out more information um, at the SalesExpertUSA.com, which is our website. Or they could follow me on Twitter at the Sales Expert, and they're welcome to come to Crystal Springs to the event. And the reason, Don, why we're hosting the event and we're hosting multiple seminars is we really want to get the word out, not just again to salespeople, but to small business owners. Small business in this country is dwindling as 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 we speak, and we believe that we have not just a secret sauce, but the inspiration as well as the ability to execute help people reach their goals, and again, to inspire greatness. Well, you went from a big company to a small company, to your own company. Correct. Tell us about the transition. Huge transition. So um, no longer have people making photocopies for me. <laughs> uh, no longer have uh, reimbursement for my car. Uh, I lose all the accoutrement, if you will, of uh, big business. So you really get humbled quickly. And I learned more uh, in the last eight weeks um, than uh, owning my own business, than getting my MBA and undergraduate in business over nine years. So, Well, you know, I always like the story of a, a man who was CFO of a major corporation then started his own business. He called me up and said, what do I do for stamps? Yeah. And I told him, you go to the post office. That's right. That's he, right. He had never... Uh, but, but you've made the transition. Are you happier there? I, I'm much happier. I'm broke, but I'm much happier. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm much happier for the simple fact that it's an investment in time and it's an investment uh, that we're building a brand and the brand that we believe in. So although you do, uh, for example, when you do have you work for somebody and you, you expense time, you expense effort, and you don't calculate that or we normally don't calculate that, but that's calculable. Right now in my own business, I'm putting up maybe more money than time. I'm putting the time too, 
but it's to build something. It's, it's to build a brand that's meaningful. Um, the X is big on purpose because it's variable. Um, it, it changes at any given moment. And we believe if we find out what somebody's X factor is, we close for the business. Right now, my X factor um, goal is not necessarily to be profitable per se, but to build this brand to what it needs to be and to what inspire greatness, which is our mission. Well, you said uh, earlier about uh, you work 80 hours to avoid what do I, I was actually going to bring it up on my one of my favorite <coughs> things that I heard is an entrepreneur work uh, an entrepreneur will work 80 hours a week to avoid working 40 and if that makes sense to you you're an entrepreneur if it doesn't then you're probably not better you're not probably not better off hanging your own shingle well um my definition was given to me by a very wise woman, woman many years ago when she said, are you willing to mortgage your house to c- continue the business? My, my wife asked me a very uh, important question uh, yesterday, and she's entrepreneur as well, or more supportive of my entrepreneurial ventures. And she made a comment and, and, and question. She meant it the right way. She goes, what's your time frame or what's, when does this end? Like, what's going on here? And I looked at her and said, this is the beginning. There is no end. Where are you going to succeed? And it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may even be a different venture. But we're going to succeed and we're going to do it. And there is no end. And that's what entrepreneurship is. If you're in a contract for a company, it ends. If you're um, working for somebody, you know, in the W-2 fashion, um, you, it's not open-ended. You, you can go tomorrow. With this, there is no end, and that's what I'm looking for to find an entrepreneur. It's not to get to the end, but to get to the point where I can say succeeded and bring it to the next level. And I love to employ people as well, so I would love to hire more people and, and provide jobs and provide people to, again, help them inspire greatness. Well, they they say you should have an ending, an exit strategy for every uh, um, entrance point you make. Yes. But you don't have it at this point so, yet. First, uh, first class uh, and first rule as an MBA you learn is what is your exit strategy even before you set up your initial strategy. So um, it's not a liquidity event in five years, unless it's a big check, of course. Just kidding. Um, it's not a liquidity event in uh, five years. It's something that I want to do for the very long run and build it up to a brand. And we really believe that we have a brand that we can go vertical with as well. Um, we have something in the works. Uh, we have X Factor selling system. But we're also working on the X-Factor selling system in port negotiating uh, for business management. So we really think this is sustainable and could be around for a very long time. So my exit strategy is probably to hopefully do this for 20 years and then hopefully retire. Well, see, now that's very interesting. Uh, you have the next steps, at least in your mind, planned out. Yes. That, that's always, uh, uh, when we talk with small businesses, we sometimes, we ask them, well, what's next? And they look at you with a blank face. Well, in- initially, initially, my, I wanted to grow, you know, vertically in a sense where I said, okay, great, what can we do with this franchise? And we are offering seminars, and we do, again, have one on the 25th and 26th at Crystal Springs in Sparta. And we're really excited. Sparta, New Jersey. Sparta, New Jersey. So we're really excited about that. Um, but we're really thinking also bigger picture where we really believe the X factor could be applied to anything. Um, this book right here has about 15 stories in it that have really have nothing to do with sales, but they're parables that can be used for business. And um, I had somebody yesterday, I was at a wedding, and somebody said to me, well, sell me on buying your book. Why should I buy your book? And I said, well, where, where are you at right now? And they kind of shared. And I said, where, where, where would you like to be? 
here. And I said, is here great? They said, yes. I said, well, I can't bring you there myself, but we really believe we can inspire you to get there. So the worst case scenario, don't buy my book, but invest in my book, the $10, and we really believe we can help you to inspire to achieve that greatness. Well, it's interesting. Um, there's a lot of people out there that uh, have books in which they, quote, inspire people, but you're saying to invest, and essentially to invest in themselves. If I hear you right. Yes, and and right now, the um, sales training industry is a twenty billion dollar industry. The self help self help is twenty nine billion dollar industry. I'll save you a whole bunch of money. Spend ten bucks. Spend a little bit of time, and uh, we'll help you help you to achieve greatness. Well, tell us a little bit more. Uh, you worked for Shearing Plow for fifteen years uh, prior to them getting purchased by Merck. So I've been with them for fifteen years. Had a great run there. I worked in different uh, capacities, including marketing, uh, sales, um, as well as um, clinical research. So I had a few different uh, opportunities there. And then uh, I went on to the aesthetic field where I sold, you know, uh, the version of Botox uh, that I represented. And uh, I'll give you an example. The area that I worked in had a 50% market share, 5-0, versus the nation had a 15% market share, 1-5. So I've always succeeded well individually and that's when I became a strong sales leader. Mm. Um, the reason being is because I wanted to share my success with others. Then when I started noticing I was bringing good reps to great, that's when I knew I had something, and that's what spawned the X Factor selling system. Well, let's talk about how do you share, uh, how do you lead people? What do you think are the key um, attributes you, you feel well, leading well, people? Well, two parts. The first is, and I need to talk about the four Ps earlier, Identify what the four P's are. And there was one gentleman, and, and uh, Com John, let's say, who came to me and said, I am financially centric. I am financially motivated. So he was making, let's take of argument, $70,000 a year. So I came to him and said, what's most important to you? And he goes, well, I want to make more money. So I basically sat with him, showed him where he actually generated about $50,000 more per year, um, which is about greater than a 50% increase in pay. So later on, later on in the year, I had a meeting, and I, you know, posted, you know, people, and I recognized certain people in the organization. And again, he came up to me and said, "Hey, Tom, I noticed you didn't recognize me." And I said, "Of course, I didn't recognize you." He goes, "Well, why? I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to be noted." I said, "No, you came to me and said, you know, I want money, and I got him money, and he pretty much made a lot more money by working with me, and he stated that he was financially motivated." So by providing money in his pocket, saying, hey, what do you want? I want money. I gave him money. Then later on, he said, I want recognition. I turned to him and said, well, you said you want money. I gave you more than enough money. Now you want recognition. So the parable is you need to know what you really, really want. And when you know what you really, really want, then go ahead and get it and ask for it. But don't ask for something, oh, I want more money. And then you get, you get your money and you're unhappy. Then it, it's not what you want. It's not, money, it's not money that you want. So you have to identify what's your X factor, what's really important to you, and then go ahead and get it. So that particular case, he wanted recognition as much, if not more than money. He probably gave ten or 20000 back just to be on that list. So really know what's important to you and what's critical and what your X factor is, and, um, and you'll be happier for it. Well, let me turn around. What's your X factor? Right now, my X factor is to build this brand to a point that not just necessarily be a national brand, that's important, but that we can really reach out to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people 
to help them to inspire to be greatness, uh, to be great. Because I'm confident if we do, the money will follow, the recognition will follow. I really want somebody to read this book, attend a seminar, listen to our podcast, um, change the way they do things, um, provide a little bit more uh, financial security for their family if that's important for them, for them, and help them to be great. We'll do it one person at a time. If it takes one year, two years, 20 years, we'll get there. And that's what's important right now. Our 20-mile march right now is to sell a few books, obviously, and we want to get uh, higher on the publishing spectrum. We self-published. So that's our initial goal in terms of deliverable. But our goal is to um, to still stick to our core and to inspire greatness. Well, um, that, that's interesting. Uh, if I heard you, you also are thinking of doing a one-on-one coaching? Yes. So through the salesexpertusa.com, which is our website, um, we will have the ability to, if somebody wants to sign on, they get access to me, whether in person or on the phone, um, um, you know, on a retainer basis, and I'd be happy to coach people one-on-one. I have about five clients that have already signed up for this, and um, they're doing quite well. Well, uh, let's go back a little bit and talk about um, uh, your initial training uh, and uh, sales. What do you choose, what do you see different from your initial training than, and how you're doing it now? Yes, so I, I sat through multiple initial trainings and I frankly thought they were full of crap and I was embarrassed for the companies that came in because they just sat there and said, well, if you listen and learn and acknowledge, well, that's great, but you're listening, but you're not really finding out what's important. You know, in sales, they say, are you listening or are you just waiting to speak? So in this particular system, the difference is we make it about the customer. We make the customer the center. We find out what's important to the customer, extract what's important, align the goals, and then not just close for the business, but have a sustainable relationship. If I get you to buy my book once um, and not qualify it, you may read the book, throw it out, and not come to a seminar. And forget about not making money or making money on you. It's about you just read my book and you'll probably throw it away. But if you read my book and I find out what's important to you, and in there you extract um, some value, the business will follow. The relationship will follow. I want to build a relationship with each and every reader, whether it be one person or a million people. I already, uh, on our Amazon, we received um, nine reviews. <coughs> all five out of five stars. And one of them actually was the CEO of a company who said, I got my MBA and I knew nothing about sales. And people assume just because you have an MBA, you know how to sell. Far from it. Uh, 95% of programs out there, MBA programs, do not have sales in the curriculum. The other 5% only have as, as much as one class. I'm unable to find an MBA in sales leadership. So the thing is, if you have your MBA, this is probably the first book you should read during or when you're freshly minted and have that sheepskin on the wall. Tom, uh, wait while we have a, a brief commercial break. Many small businesses purchase supplies, equipment, other needs through local stores. To save money on many of these purchases, consider Deem.com. This purchasing site offers real bargains and large discounts on many key items needed to run your business, and it's free to join and use. That's D-E-E-M.com. Again, D-E-E-M.com for all your small business needs. We're back here with Tom Levecchia, learning a lot about sales. We're sitting here because uh, our two other guests so far haven't called in. 
But we're fortunate enough that Tom's willing to sit, sit around and work, work with us. Uh, Don, the two biggest uh, things in this world that you have a chance is uh, one, two most important things are, number one is opportunity. So now that I have some borrowed time, I'm going to take the opportunity. So missed opportunity is something you never get back. So I'm going to take this opportunity to share some great things with you. Second is a, sp is a spoken word. So I'll be careful about what I say. In what way? Oh, because they say two things you never get back, missed opportunity and the spoken word. So okay. I'll make sure I'll try to say the right thing. God, have I been, uh, put my foot into it a few times? <laughs> Me as well. But, that, but that's why you live and learn, and uh, you grow from it. Well, um, uh, your feedback from your readers, what do, what, do they what do they most like about your system? They like that it's to the point, um, that it's concise, and that it's no BS. Um, you know, we can... We could have made this 300 pages and thrown a lot of stuff that was frankly filler, um, but we believe we wrote it to where we wrote it, and we're at a point where we believe you can you can read it in one if not two sittings, and literally step up your game. And the nice thing about it, and this is part of the intent, you always want a little bit more. So the only feedback we've been getting is it's just not enough, and that was by design because we want people to come to the seminars so they can practice the system in a safe environment, and then uh, bring it out into the field and make, start making some good money. Well, what takeaways do you want people to get from your book? Three. Uh, the first is understand what motivates people and determines how they act and what they do. The way to get there is a simple fact that um, people are motivated by one of the four Ps, which we talked about. People, product, process, and price. Lastly, when you find somebody's X factor, you can work to partner with them and gain alignment and, and forge a long, sustainable relationship. So just simply, again, understand the four Ps, understand the X factor, and just keep it clear and concise. Well, you, you helped me a great deal because you've filled out the uh, space and the time. We, ha we have our guest calling in uh, right now, and I, I hope it's um, Mark Gilbreth, who put his money where his ideas were in creating liquid space. And I'd like you to stay uh, because he's got a very interesting approach. Is it Mark on? Uh, is that you, Mark? Yes, it is, sir. Sorry to be delayed. Well, uh, uh, Mark, thank you for, for joining us today. I'm here with uh, Tom Lavecchia, who created the X Factor selling system. And, um, uh, Mark, tell us about liquid space because I found okay. it fascinating. Happy to. Liquid Space is an app, and you can put it on your phone or you can access it through the web, and it lets professionals find and book great workspace and meeting space on demand when and where they need it. And it stands as a pretty stark contrast to the conventional real estate model for workplace, which has been the last hundred years, you know, signing a lease for three or five or seven or ten years. Well, when you say sign, uh, get space, are you... Uh, you can get it by the hour, by the week, by the day. Uh, how does it work? Truly by the hour, even down to the minute. Um, and the, you know, the inspiration behind this was the recognition that people were leaving work to get work done. Or said another way, they were able to decouple themselves from that desk and that server because we now had mobile computing devices, iPhones, iPads, notebook computers. We had ubiquitous Wi-Fi. We had a broad range of services and information available on the web. So it was no longer necessary for me to sit at a desk or in a cube farm for my 40-hour work week. I could get work done elsewhere. And so people did. Uh, with Liquid Space, what we've uh, jumped on is the, the opportunity and the need to present those individuals, those professionals who are working on the go, 
with the ability to find you know high performance work environments when and where they need to, so that that Skype phone call that might have been done in the front seat of your car or that important business interaction that you might be trying to have at a Starbucks can actually be carried to a more appropriate environment that matches the task at hand. But where you're using that space for, as you said, uh, you know, minutes or an hour perhaps, rather than having to make a long-term commitment. Yeah, what I, what I uh, the reason I really uh, glommed onto it was the fact that the space that you, uh, the pictures look really unusual. They're not your, your standard uh, 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 boxes. Am I correct on that? It's very much the case. One of the hallmarks of what we've done with our marketplace fundamentally, you can think of liquid space as a marketplace, is that we've recognized that there's a diverse array of, of workers out there and that the the best environment for any one individual is going to be a unique reflection of their personality, their work style, as well as the task at hand. And this notion that we could, you know, assign workers to a sea of cube farm or, you know, yeah. farm and, and expect and that homogenous environment is going to be the best working environment for every individual is fairly arrogant. So what we've, what we've done is actually build a, a diverse array of, of uh, space types into our marketplace, ranging from progressive, edgy, uh, bohemian environments to, to button-down professional environments. And we've done so by partnering with everyone from hotel giants like Marriott to individual office owners, to co-working spaces, to library operators, and we bring that entire ecology uh, to bear and make it all available to an individual through their phone. Well, you know, uh, the reason I asked Tom, Tom to, to stay is because um, uh, the nice thing about this program is that, that I'm seeing a lot of innovation. I get a lot of innovation across my uh, desk, and quite frankly, I thought you're your idea was uh, one of the most innovative ones uh, I've come across. And Tom's, um, uh, my question to you um, is, when you t when you uh, market your your office, uh, how do you do it? How do you reach people? Sure, and there's actually uh, there's actually a, a sort of two sides to that dynamic. I mean, Liquid Space operates fundamentally as a two-sided marketplace. And we, we have two constituents that we serve. On one side, it's the real estate owner or operator who has workspace and oftentimes excess workspace that they're looking to put to work, they're looking to drive the utilization of that asset. On the other side of the marketplace is that mobile professional who's looking for a great space to work. And so we have to maintain and, and drive effective marketing and engagement programs on both sides of that. On the supply side, on the on the on the real estate owner side, you know, it's happening on two fronts. It's happening in a directed fashion. So, for example, you know, we set out and, and pursued and developed a strategic partnership with Marriott, and we did that at the uppermost levels of their corporate interface. We've also, though, and this is this is quite interesting. We've also created an open front door on our platform. So, any real estate owner. You know, it could be a hotel operator. It could be an attorney with an excess conference room. It could be a serviced office operator. They can all come to liquidspace.com and click on the button that says share your space. And through that interface, they can just self-load themselves into this marketplace. And today, uh, with our market growing at over 10% per month, over 50% of the growth in workspace options is happening organically. Or said another way, it's, it's real estate owners who are learning about liquid space through forums like this one today. They're coming to liquidspace.com and they're putting their inventory up onto it. 
on the user side, on the professional side, uh, the same two phenomena occur. We have both directed business development outreach work that we do to, to carry the story predominantly to large enterprises. And then we also allow any user to come to the site and simply become a member of Liquid Space and start accessing you know, the workspace options that we have. Uh, Mark, uh, if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to ask Tom now to just uh, g uh, give his impression of how of the of, of your your pitch and how it would work inside his system. Do you mind? I'd welcome it. Thank you. Hey, Mark. Uh, thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for allowing me to jump in. I love the fact that you have a very uh, clean, uh, tight message on who you're looking to serve. I love that, and I also love the fact that um, there's a huge uh, convenience opportunity. How are you driving uh, people to the liquidspace.com? So uh, let me focus on the user side. Um, you know, we launched the service two, nearly two years ago, about 20 months ago. It's a, but as an aside, it's just amazing how fast technology businesses can grow. Uh, but we launched it two years ago, and, and, and at the first launch of it, you know, our, our, our thesis was that our user was a consumer. And, what, and by that I mean we're looking to engage you know, Tom or Donald or, or Sue you know, as an individual. They're going to assess our service. They're going to make the choice. And that philosophy that the individual is our customer shaped the nature of the product experience. It shaped the messaging. We wanted it to be something where you didn't need a manual to learn how to use it. You could just pick it up and go. About six months after we launched, though, uh, we had a hypothesis, or a, I should say a hypothesis emerged. And that was that this concept of real estate on demand, serving individual consumers, was very well aligned with the struggles that we were seeing companies as a whole encountering. And that you know, large organizations, the Fortune 500, were wrestling with excess real estate capacity at the same time that they were trying to figure out how to engage, you know, millennial workers in a more compelling way. And so we took the we took the liquid space proposition and made a few test calls on large enterprises. And the, the basic pitch was, hey, we think that, that a variable that a portfolio of real estate available on demand would offer you as a company substantially more economic flexibility at the same time that it brought more productivity to your employees. And that hypothesis bore out. And what we've now found and what we've launched on is the ability to take our platform and let a large enterprise engage with it. And that's working. So what's happening today is that large companies are deploying liquid space to their personnel. And they're doing so to give them real estate on demand when they're working away from the campus. And so that, that direct-to-company channel is becoming one of our strongest avenues to drive growth in the business. So, Mark, I, I, I love it. Now, what's your uh, competitive advantage? In my book, we talk about these four Ps, if you will, you know, people, product, process, or price. Are you like an Uber model where it's, you know, really convenient, process-driven with a premium price? Are you offering it less expensively for last-minute deals for people that want to get a conference room? What's your, uh, what's your pricing strategy and what's your center? Yeah, so let me uh, let me perhaps uh, bifurcate that and sort of talk about um, you know the liquid space proposition relative to the status quo, and then if you'd like, we can also sort of talk about you know relative to sort of newcomers that might be competing with a similar approach. Relative to the status quo, and I mentioned this earlier in my comments, the real estate model for 100 years has been: you're a company, you build a campus or you lease a floor of a large building. You know, and you and you are making that economic investment for a duration that would be years on length. You know, the average real commercial real estate lease is, is five plus years. There is there is very little economic flexibility to that. Moreover, you're having to make a capacity commitment 
years into the future, long before you even know what your actual capacity requirements will be. And so in contrast to the status quo model, the notion of actually committing to resource by the drink um, allows dramatically higher economic flexibility for an enterprise. What that means is that rather than tying up capital at the front end of a long-term business cycle, they're able to invest as they go. And that increased agility means that if the better place to put that next incremental dollar is on another hire or on some other piece of equipment, they can do so rather than having it tied up in real estate. That's one major piece, economic flexibility. The other dramatic contrast to the status quo is the human effect. This notion of empowering your personnel, your people, to understand within themselves the best way for them to work. Right? So if you have a given employee who simply thrives when they've got a degree of privacy uh, to their working environment, and then a peer of theirs that may actually thrive more when they're in much more of a social environment. Yet, in the classic model, you're mapping both those personnel into the same cube form, the same structured environment. Rather, today it's about, listen, let's empower our employees to choose how and where they best work. And what you get out of that is engagement, which translates to hiring and retention. You also get productivity, which is straight to the bottom line. What a... Um this is a small business audience. Do you get a lot of small businesses coming to you? We absolutely do. What I'd say the common thread for us is in terms of the, the makeup of a company or an individual that's, that's, that's embracing liquid space is that they're a dynamic organization. Now, that could be a Fortune 50 company whose dynamic is that they're trying to go through the wrenching change of rationalizing their real estate strategy. They may have ended up with 40, 50, 60% more physical real estate than they need. So for them, the dynamic is how do I downsize and bring some, some rationality to my real estate approach? It can also be, and for us, a large user community for us are small emerging companies, whether that is an individual consultant who's simply working as a freelancer for whom workplace is already distributed, or a fast-growing startup company that's looking to grow with what I'll call a more sustainable model. Rather than making that classic fixed investment into a campus and expecting all the people to come to one place, small companies are growing using liquid space with a people-first philosophy. I'm going to empower my employees as well. I'm not going to be rigidly restricted in terms of who I hire based upon zip code and take my own company. I've got employees in two continents and in about seven different time zones. And for a two-year-old, 25-person organization, that's a rather dramatic statement to make. But we've been liberated, and we're able to hire. You know, the first priority for us is, is this the right person? Let's get the best people in the seats in the company and not be hamstrung by where they might live and the fact that they just don't want to commute to a building that we put in place. Um, well, you know this, uh, the woman who heads Yahoo's pulled them all in from uh, their their home uh, their home offices. Uh, right. Do you think that's a good? Um, well, I'm going to ask. It's a loaded question. Do you think it's good or bad? I think so. Yeah, Marissa Meyer, the CEO of Yahoo, very for the listeners who who didn't hear the news uh, about six weeks ago, I think it was. Um, took a very controversial action in that she um, issued a mandate and did so through her HR department stating that the company's Yahoo's teleworking program was going to be turned off, that the employees who had been working from home some number of days per week were no longer going to be allowed to do so and that they would have to come back into the office. And the stated purpose of that in, in the communique to the company was that, that the best work happens when people are together and they want to have them back in the office. 
Um, and the press picked up on this um, and has really, to a large degree, shredded her in the public audience. Uh, it's been a rich debate, actually on both sides of the topic. I think it's been the wrong debate. Um, I think Yahoo perhaps was in an unfortunate situation where they were under extreme stress. That you know, that company um, has to uh, shift to a new trajectory. They're, they're simply not uh, thriving at the moment. And so I think that, um, but the but the inappropriate debate that's happened in the press is sort of making it an either or. It's, it, it's either home based work or at the office. And I think that the conversation that really should be had is recognizing that great work can happen everywhere. Um, we certainly aren't. Liquid Space certainly isn't suggesting that the office should die. We just think it should be something where people go to it for the appropriate task at the appropriate time. Um, and it's just unfortunate that Yahoo didn't have a workplace culture that was the draw, right? Um, you know, in a, in a healthy organization, people will go where they need to at the appropriate time, whether that's massing with other colleagues in one place so they can be face-to-face at certain times, or whether it's carrying the work outside of that center office when conditions dictate it, whether that is meeting with a client, visiting a conference, or perhaps doing some productive work for an hour or two before you pick up a child from daycare. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. And I, and I think, fundamentally, Yahoo won't be successful trying to stuff this mobility genie back into a bottle. Um, we've passed that era. You know, Real estate has become consumerized. Individuals expect far more choice in how they do their work, and I think it's going to be a really challenging path for them to go backwards on that. Uh, you, uh, tell us, uh, Mark. Tell, you know, you, you, you're so fascinating. Tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, well, it's not the background you would have expected would have brought you to a real estate company. I'll, I'll, I'll certainly share that. I'm a, I'm a tech guy, uh, electrical engineer out of college. Uh, in 1988, moved from the East Coast, where I'd gone to school, out to Silicon Valley. Uh, landed in the semiconductor industry in Silicon Valley, and and. Uh, Worked my way up into some uh, general management positions in the computer chip industry through the 80s and 90s. Uh, in the late 90s, uh, you know, living in Palo Alto, California, um, you couldn't walk. You know, in 1999, you couldn't walk down the street or into a coffee shop without hearing the buzz and literally seeing people mapping out business plans and talking about, you know, investments and the like. You know, Internet 1.0 was in full swing, and I jumped off of the big company path in the late 90s and became one of the founders of a software company which actually interestingly was a marketplace in and of itself. Uh, I, I won't go into the weeds on what the, what the nature of the service was, but, but we built a, a marketplace on the web uh, and, and uh, was the CEO of that company for four years and then uh, took a little hiatus in the early 2000s, and my mind drifted to this topic of real estate because as the CEO of this um, prior software company, We'd raised over $16 million, and, and the biggest check I ever wrote as the CEO of that company was the five-year lease for a building in Milpitas, California, uh, at a time when I had 15 employees. And you know, when you're signing a check for a five-year lease, you're having to think about what your organization is going to look like years from now. I couldn't predict it effectively six months from now, yet I was having to, to make a best guess five years. It was, it was such an irrational action to have to make. And that experience, that sort of conundrum, had, had lived with me. And so um, mid-2000s, that, that sort of persistent sort of nag about, the, gosh, there's got to be a better model for real estate, collided with another sort of uh, awakening uh, sort of in my gut and I'd say in my soul, which was the emerging topic of sustainability. I became a bit of a casual student of, of green buildings and of carbon footprint, and, and my eyes opened to the extraordinary 
footprint that the commercial real estate landscape has in terms of our planet and our carbon footprint. You know, people don't understand that buildings, commercial buildings, are 60 plus percent of our carbon footprint. And, and you add to that the economic constraint they put on companies, and then you compound all of that with the observation that offices, in the model that we've had for the last hundred years, where an, a desk, a cube, an office is assigned to an individual employee, in that model today, across most industries, the actual utilization of that assigned officer desk is only 35% of the work day. So here we have this incredibly expensive asset with a massive carbon footprint, and people aren't even using it more than a third of the time. And that just screamed opportunity to me. Um, and I took a first run at fixing this. You know, it, you know, engineers, you know, technology people tend to say, oh, let's take out the white sheet of paper and let's just redraw this, let's reconstitute, reconstitute this industry in a way that would be more logical. And the first pass I took at it was actually uh, a physical building. I built a prototype LEED Gold certified building that had a whole flexible and scalable design no notion to it. Raised floors, denotable walls, and a membership business model that would allow any customer to be able to simply check into any type of space they wanted by the hour. And at this physical building, we called the business model, the membership model was called Liquid Space. Uh, this was in 2008. Uh, we opened this building in November of 2008, uh, about six weeks after Lehman Brothers collapsed. And if anybody recalls, I'm sure we all do, uh, the recession, I mean, you know, this, this enormous debacle, it was real estate driven. And what I hadn't appreciated in that first go-around when I built a new building, what I hadn't appreciated um, was that the, the extraordinary uh, extent to which we have unused existing capacity out there, meeting rooms sitting in hotels, whole floors of buildings sitting within corporate campuses, office centers and co-working spaces and libraries sitting underutilized. And so that project building that I constructed, uh, we ended up selling the building because we were chasing or we were fighting against excess inventory in the market. But what emerged out of that the aha that came out of it was, wow, you know, even though it would be great to have lead gold buildings across the planet, the reality is the opportunity today is to go and harvest all of that existing inventory. And Liquid Space reemerged as a pure software company with the objective of, you know, connecting people to workspace on demand and giving all of those existing real estate owners a means of putting that existing inventory to work. Uh, Mark, uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, your time. Again, how can uh, people uh, reach you uh, liquid, uh, at Liquid Space? They sure can. So if anyone would like to reach out to me directly, they're welcome to. Uh, mark at liquidspace.com. Um, you can go to our website to check out the service. It's www.liquidspace.com. And from there, you can find and book space either through the web or you can click to a link and download our mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And it's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much for letting me be on your show. Yeah. Mark, thank you again. Um, uh, we'll be back after this brief message. more about health savings accounts for your company or yourself? Go to 2hsa.com and get a free employer's primer. Health savings accounts are a yeah, cost-effective way of offering health care benefits to your employees and yourself. 
HSAs build retirement funds for your employees, improve morale, and reduce your health care benefit costs. For a free employer guide to HSAs, go to 2HSA.com. That's 2HSA.com. We're back to uh, we're back uh, live, and we've got a very interesting situation. Uh, we have Deanna Dunsmeyer uh, on Dunsmeyer. Yes. Am I pronouncing it right? And also we have Jack Bronstein. Jack, are you on? Jay, uh, Jake, are you on? I am. Yeah. How are you? Well, we, we've. Uh, I'm fine. We're having one of those fun days where uh, uh, the best laid plans of mice and men off go astray. But sure. uh, I have with with me here in the studio Thomas Slovakia, who's written a book called The Factor, The X Factor. He's written it with Deanna Dunsmeyer. Diana, are you on? Oh, oh. okay. She, she'll she'll call back in. Well, we uh, hopefully she'll call back in. Uh, Jake, um, you're the founder of Flint and Timber, a domestic apparel maker with a unique product and a clever way of financing. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, go on. No. Um, first off, Jake, tell us about your product, and then we'll talk about how you, how you uh, launched it. Okay, so Flint and Tinder is an American-based premium uh, men's basics collection. So we're we're trying to make really high quality men's apparel, and we're trying to do it 100% in America, which is increasingly a difficult task. And so one of the one of the new products in the line that seems to have caught a bunch of attention is something that we're calling the 10-year hoodie. And what this sweatshirt means to say and represent is just that while we feel like uh, the rest of the world has been fairly busy offshoring, outsourcing, and generally making things cheaper and faster and worse, this is a sweatshirt that we're going to design to last a lifetime. We're guaranteeing it for a decade. And if at any time over the course of, of that period it rips, tears, you know, somehow comes apart at the seams, uh, you can send it back to us and we'll actually we'll have it mended in the same factories where it was made which is sort of a unique opportunity, and it's something that we could only do because we're making the product here, which is just opportunities that we always look to exploit. Oh, it's, it's fascinating. I've, um, I, I asked you onto the program because I thought that uh, it, the, the hoodie looked terrific, but now tell us how you uh, uh, launched the product. Well, so initially we, we really started with men's underwear, and and that's kind of our, our bread and butter. And we did it because we were looking at the marketplace and nobody else was making men's underwear in America anymore except for American apparel. So every other pair of underwear you might ever have worn in the last 20 years or so has come from China or Thailand or Indonesia. Um, but before I really dug in with that, I put it on Kickstarter to see if, anyone would care if that was an idea worth pursuing. Um, we were going to have to overhaul a factory to make it happen. And we put it on Kickstarter. It turned out it was the most successfully funded fashion Kickstarter of all time, times four at that point. We raised about $300,000, which was more than enough to uh, to bring the new equipment that was needed to, 
to really start making a high volume premium product here. Um, and so when we decided to to test the waters beyond just underwear, we did the same thing again, where we turned to Kickstarter, and it's a website that lets you pre-sell product, essentially, but based on a video or a story that you put out, which is really powerful, I think, for for especially a product like the hoodie, where what we're trying to do is send a message. So we, we made this video. We said, here's why the sweatshirt is important to us. And if people buy $50,000 worth of these sweatshirts, then we'll have the money to make them. If we don't hit that threshold, you know, everybody gets their money back. The money's never actually come to us. Uh, and so far, we've sold about $900,000 worth of them. Uh, that's why I asked you on the program, Jake. Uh, because um, uh, I thought that was extraordinary. For those uh, listeners who are not familiar with Kickstarter, uh, it's it's a way of financing um, uh, uh, a new product. Uh, we have with us uh, Thomas Lavecchia, whose new book is the uh, the X Factor Selling, and also his co-writer Deanna Dunsmeyer, who's back online with us, and um, uh, they started with a book, and if the, um, and if they had uh, known about Kickstarter, they might have, because they could have offered the book. Um, uh, they could have offered the book as an incentive to get people to uh, buy it. He, Tom's nodding his head. Um, and the reason I, I asked them to stay on tonight today's program is, uh, Jake, we, we'd love for you to give us your uh, elevator pitch about your product, and uh, if you don't mind. Uh, have Tom and Deanna kind of give you their feedback on that uh, as a way of helping our audience, um, A, better understand your product, better understand what you do, and equally important, learn something about how to pitch their own product. Would you sure. mind? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the the premise around the 10-year hoodie is that, well, starting in my lifetime, I think it really started with NASA, actually, with everything left America, and I think a lot of companies found that there were cheaper and faster ways to make products, and, and in doing that, make more money. Uh, but the end result is where we are now, I feel like if you buy something from a store and it doesn't last a year even, you kind of shrug your shoulders. You, know, you, you almost expected that. Uh, you might not return it. You certainly wouldn't expect anything from the company that sold it to you. And that's kind of because our expectations have been systematically lowered over the years. Um, whereas when my dad was young, he's in his 70s now, you know, you would take anything back at any time. And people were really comfortable standing behind the things that they made and, and the way that they sold them in a way where even if the receipt, you know, said that they didn't owe you anything, they, they wanted to do right by you as a customer. And so that's what we're trying to do with this sweatshirt. So we started with just a, a simple standard sweatshirt, uh, and we over-engineered it. We took all of the stress seams and put them together uh, using it's called safety seaming. Basically, instead of – it's hard to show you over the radio, but uh, a, a standard sweatshirt is sort of put together almost like a T-shirt uh, with two pieces of fabric pushed together, kind of smushed together, and then you sew it once, but it's easy to come apart, whereas maybe a jacket has a seam where the two pieces of fabric overlap each other, 
and then they sew it down on both sides. So we, we did stuff like that, and we, and we started with a really premium fabric that's going to get better over time. Uh, and we put in, you know, all the bells and whistles, but at the end of that, we said, what really makes this special, what really makes this special is that you, the consumer, have the right to expect that it's going to last. And if anything gets in the way of that, you have the right to send it back to us and we're going to fix it. And we're not going to fix it because it was so cheap to make that we can just keep sending you, you know, new ones all the time and still come out ahead. We're, we're going to mend it because it was so well made you know, that, that there's value to it even after it rips or something. Okay. Let me interrupt you at this point, and uh, let me ask Tom and Deanna what they think right now, because uh, I frankly think you oversold the product. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Jake. Yeah, Jake. I uh, well, first of all, congratulations on selling a ton of products. So the good thing, the great thing is, you have a great product. Um, I always like to shoot straight. Uh, the elevator pitch is something that you hit the fourth floor, um, you know, and somebody else hits the sixth floor. You have four floors to go up to pretty much convince somebody for another meeting. So you got to tighten it up to basically sell well made, ten years um, usability guaranteed and we're socially responsible and then we could have chatted about a whole bunch of other stuff so i tightened it up a little bit deanna what do you think yeah i think it's a great pitch i mean i love that you hit all those points they all fall into uh the product centric sort of state of mind which is great i'm sure there's a lot of people out there looking for uh something that's uh, just a great product so i think it was good i think you're right just uh like firm it up a little bit more uh get those key points and it sounds great yeah, well, I ramble anytime anybody gives me a microphone. <laughs> well, you want a little, you want a, a, a tip. What you do is you keep a clicker uh, with you, a clicking pen. And what you do is when somebody asks you a question, you click it, and then you literally, like, just subconsciously in five seconds, click it again, and then you have to end the conversation two seconds after that. So if somebody asks me a question, I click, and then what I do is I subconsciously click it again, and then I tighten up the answer shortly thereafter. It allows you to really kind of tighten your message. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. I like that. Thank you. Well, we like your product. Uh, how did you come by the name Flint and Timber? Uh, it's actually it's Flint and Tinder, like a, like a Tinder box that you might have had in the old days. And what it was was that initially I, I was talking to different VCs and investment bankers, this kind of person, about my desire to save the American cut and sew industry. Uh, and I, I kept saying I wanted to ignite it through better products and services. And somebody said back to me that the only way to reignite American manufacturing was going to be with a flint and cinder. Uh, and, and I thought, oh, yeah, well, that's a good name. It's a, it's a jerky answer, but it's a really good name. So, so we named the company that way. I love the name. I, you know, it's, you. it's a name that you remember. Um, but uh, are you are you going to produce the the hoodie? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we're we're now we've been in business for about a year. Uh, we've sold a couple million dollars worth of of product, and we've built a, a pretty happy and satisfied customer base. And I think this this sweatshirt has just been you know, another opportunity to bring new customers into that fold. So we we certainly want to 
you know, make sure that we deliver on all promises around it, give people a great experience, and keep moving forward. Well, if uh, our audience wanted to, to buy a hoodie, could they today? They could, yeah, sure. So they, they would go to kickstarter.com, and you would put in the search bar 10-year hoodie. Or, or you could actually you could go to flintandtinderusa.com, and it'll shoot you over there to, to pick up the sweatshirt. Well, uh, uh, Jake, we want to, at this point, thank you for joining us. Yeah, and, thank uh, you very much. And we look forward to success. We will follow up uh, on future shows and let people know what's happening. Um, right, excellent. Thank you very much. No, thank you. And I want to uh, – uh, Deanna, um, I have a question for you. How was it working with Thomas? Tom? Oh, it's great working with him. It's amazing. I absolutely love every day of work. He has this way of inspiring and motivating people that's just so great to watch. Boy, you paid her five dollars for that, huh? That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, I do mean it. I do mean it. It's pretty great. Well, um, uh, Tom has ha ha Tom and you have helped me out of a very difficult uh, program. I want to particularly thank the people in the control room for for uh, uh, saving my butt again, as usual. You know, uh, um, uh, so at this point. Uh, Tom, one more plug for your book, and uh, tell them about the, the book signing. Yes, so the uh, book is The X Factor Selling System, and it can be found on Amazon.com, um, as well as BarnesandNoble.com, etc. And we're having a book launch party where you can find Deanna and me at Teak on the Hudson, April 19th at 7 p.m., and uh, we will be uh, having a great time launching the book. We just signed on. Uh, Mickey Ward is going to join us along with other notable celebrities, and uh, just go to the salesexpertusa.com for more information. I thought you said Miss Italy was coming. Miss Italy was coming. She's going to be the correspondent, but um, but more importantly, Deanna's going to be there, and she's a crust of X Factor. Okay. Um, on, on behalf of Small Business Digest, I want to thank everybody for coming. Next week we have a very interesting program because we're going to talk about financing your small business in today's difficult world. For uh, the rest of the people here in, in the studio, this is Don Mazzella saying thank you and goodbye. <laughs>